peace, namaste, and shalom. Everybody out there in dreamland, I am the beyond top secret Texan. Join me on my podcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, where I explore the outer limits of human abilities, top secret military technologies, the reality of extraterrestrial Earth alliances, secret space wars, advanced cryptozoology, subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult. Beyond the Top Secret Texan Podcast. study by one of the top genealogical publishers of the world that has provided authoritative genealogical records of historical families for more than 190 years, Queen Elizabeth is a descendant of Islam's Prophet Muhammad, specifically his 43rd great-granddaughter. A release by United Press International dated October 10, 1986 says, Muslims in Buckingham Palace. Mixed in with Queen Elizabeth's blue blood is the blood of the Muslim prophet Muhammad, according to Burke's Peerage, the genealogical guide to royalty. The relation came out when Harold B. Brooks Baker, publishing director of Burke's, wrote Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher to ask for better security 
for the royal family. Quote, the royal family's direct descendant from the Prophet Muhammad cannot be relied upon to protect the royal family forever from Muslim terrorists, he said. Probably realizing the connection would be a surprise to many, he added, quote, it is little known by the British people that the blood of Muhammad flows in the veins of the queen. However, all Muslim religious leaders are proud of this fact, end quote. Brooks Baker said the British royal family is descended from Muhammad through the Arab kings of Seville, who once ruled Spain. By marriage, their blood passed through to the European kings of Portugal and Castile, and through them to England's 15th century King Edward IV. But get a fee. Good. It's something you might not expect to be written on a 9th century Viking ring, for Allah. The ring was discovered back in the late 1800s during excavations of a Viking trading center in Burka, Sweden. And they were able to clearly see that the ancient Arabic writing reads for Allah or to Allah. The researchers say that most likely we'll never know the exact meaning behind the inscription or where and why it was done, but that the ring definitely offers a link between the two civilizations long ago. This image is said to be of actual hair from the beard of the Prophet Muhammad. The red hair said to have been shaved from Muhammad's face by his barber Salman in the presence of Abu Bakr, Ali, and several other witnesses. Individual hairs were later taken away, but the beard itself is kept protected and on display in a glass container. Starting after the age of 40, the Prophet Muhammad began to dye his graying beard red to gain a more youthful appearance as the Prophet Muhammad himself was reported to have naturally red hair when he was young. This helps to explain why millions of Muslims today, some being of sub-Saharan African origin with black hair, also dye their beards with red henna. The same way that DNA evidence has demonstrated that about 99% of modern day Egyptians are not genetically related to the blonde and red-headed pharaohs the vast majority of Muslims today have no ethnic relation to the Prophet Muhammad, yet still dye themselves with red henna out of respect, tradition, uh, imitation, and uh, religious reasons. My name is Robert Sepper. I'm an independent anthropologist. Be well. Until next time.
number three. The monarch's crown has 12 stones at the base, each representing the 12 Hebrew tribes. The 12 stones of the 12 tribes were also worn on the breastplate of Hebrew high priests in Canaan. Number four. The Union Jack represents the reunion of the United Kingdom of the 12 tribes of Jacob, or Jack up. The Union Jack is red, white, and blue, the same colors as the three crowns of Egypt. Number five, the royal scepter originates in ancient Egypt and was carried by the Egyptian god Amun and by Egyptian pharaohs, who called themselves the son of God. The royal scepter is now carried by Pharaonic descendant Queen Elizabeth II. Her scepter contains the world's largest black diamond, called the Star of Africa. Number six. The queen's punishing flail, or whip, is partially hidden under her arm. The flail, or whip, also originates with the pharaohs of ancient Egypt. Number seven. The symbol of the bee can be found within the queen's royal wardrobe. In ancient Egypt, bees were the symbol of Egyptian royalty, as well as the symbol of Egypt. Number eight. The symbols on the British coat of arms reveal Britain's Hebrew origin. According to the Bible, the harp symbolizes the Hebrew King David. The biblical lion and unicorn holding up the shield symbolize the nation of Israel. The motto, June et means God and my right indicating the divine right of the British monarch to an eternal throne. Number nine, the headdress worn by judges and the queen's high-ranking officials originate in ancient Egypt. Number 10, kilts like the one worn by Charles originate with the Egyptian pharaohs who wore white kilts. Number 11, the hymn, Zadok the Priest, written by Handel, was performed at the Queen's coronation in 1952. Zadok the Priest was a biblical priest who anointed the Hebrew King Solomon while the people cried, God save King Solomon, long live King Solomon, may the King live forever. God save Queen Elizabeth, long live Queen Elizabeth, may the Queen live forever. ceremony, the queen turns to face the four corners of the globe. The orb carried by the queen represents the globe over which the monarch rules. Number 13, the monarch's coronation gifts of a rod, bracelets, and a ring are a reenactment of the Bible story of the Hebrews, Judah, and Tamar. Number 14, royal jubilees originate in ancient Egypt. Egyptian pharaohs celebrated their jubilees after 30 years of rule. In Pharaonic tradition, the queen has celebrated both silver and golden jubilees. Number 15, incest was practiced by ancient Egyptian royalty. Mothers married sons and brothers married sisters power and the money all in the family. Like their Quran 
Germanic ancestors, the British monarchy have a long history of incestuous inbreeding. Number 16. The corpses of deceased pharaohs were preserved and entombed beneath their pyramid temples. The corpses of 19 deceased British monarchs are also preserved in marble tomb slabs beneath the modern-day temple called Westminster Abbey. Number 17. The ancient pharaohs advertised their power with their image on coins and stone monuments. The power of the queen worldwide is advertised with her image printed on more coins and stamps than any other head of state in history. Number 18. The structure of government in ancient Egypt was a step pyramid model, with the grand busy priesthood one step below the pharaoh. Today's monarchy reigns using a much more sophisticated pyramid model of authority. Number 19. The Pope's headdress is strikingly similar to the headdress of the Egyptian god Amun. His bent cross resembles the scepter of Amun. Number 20. Like the Egyptian pharaohs, British monarchs wear signet rings, which over the millennia have been passed down from their Hebrew ancestors. Number 21. The British Mint recently printed legal tender coins called the One True Ring and the Ring of Power. On one side of the coin is Queen Elizabeth II. On the flip side is the ring from Lord of the Rings. These legal tender coins printed by the British Mint raise the disturbing question, who is the real Lord of the Rings? The inscription on the ring reads, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness of their ignorance, bind them. Number 22. The covenant that the biblical God gave to Abraham was a promise to make his name great and to make for him a great nation. Today, Great Britain is the only nation called great. In Hebrew, the word Britain literally means land of the covenant, and British means man of the covenant.
was the last in a succession of Hebrew Ptolemy kings. Although Cleopatra is considered to be the last of the Egyptian pharaohs, author Ralph Ellis claims that Jesus was the last of the Hebrew pharaohs of Egypt. Jesus, a pharaoh? How is that possible? The historical facts show that the last pharaoh of Egypt was Ptolemy XV, who was nicknamed Caesarian or Little Caesar. Julius Caesar was elevated to the status of God by the Roman Senate, Caesarian was recognized as the son of God and heir to God's kingdom, the Roman Empire. royal family. No, they're not. They're the German, Danish, Greek, Russian, and anything else involved royal family. Same with all the others around bloody Europe. Same bloody family. And, um, oh no, they're only symbolic now and for ceremonial purposes. Bollocks. She talks about my government. Why? Because that, that is what it is. She talks about my parliament. It's my military, my MI5, my MI6, my courts, my church. All the people in those organizations, including the representatives of the people, have to uh, uh, say a, a, a pledge of allegiance, an oath of allegiance to her, not the people. It's a bloody joke. And um, this idea that it's symbolic, rubbish rubbish. I mean, when you meet the Prime Minister, whoever it is, are you supposed to bow or curtsy? No, but he is to her. Where's the power here? I mean, I, what a joke. Look at him. I mean, do you know, I, I feel sad really because these people, they go off to wars and, you know, put themselves in bloody danger. I don't agree they should because they put other people in bloody danger at all as well, called children and people. But, I mean, what are you, what, oh my god, beam me up Scotty, it's mad down here, get me out, I've had enough. And then there's this royal bloody household that we're paying for. Did you know that there's a gold stick and a silver stick on the royal household? At least they have metallic value, that's a, probably a good thing. There's a groom of the stole, there's a field officer in brigade waiting. He's always walking up and down, looking pissed off, looking at his watch. He'd be a lot better using his time keeping an eye on that groom of the stole before he nicks something else, I think. And then they've got a clerk of the closet. And even worse, they've got a deputy clerk of the closet. What do they do? Pull the chain? Is it all flush? What do they do? Hello, mate, what do you do? Oh, I'm a deputy clerk of the closet. No, don't piss about. What do you do? Um, then there's a... They used to have a removing wardrobe. At least they got rid of him. Removing wardrobe? What do you do? You... I remove wardrobes, yeah. 
Do you ever bring them back? Oh no, bring back wardrobe does that. I mean, oh bloody hell. We're paying for this. The British royal family, proof that God has a sense of humour, that's my, my view anyway. Now, why, what, what is the d dynamic here with these bloodlines? Well, uh, like I said, they operate with invisible light on behalf of entities that operate outside of invisible light. And if you take the analogy of the scientist standing outside the tank, working inside the tank through the gloves with material that's too dangerous to work with, you take the tank to be our reality, the scientists to be these entities, and the gloves to be these bloodlines that allow them to manipulate within this reality. That's the basic dynamic of why they exist and what they're doing. This is Neil Haig's depiction here of, of, the, of the theme. Uh, and thus, these entities have their own agenda. And uh, it's not the human agenda, but what's best for humans, it's what's best for the agenda of control of humans. And if you take the uh, Trojan horse analogy and you put that on, then you've pretty much got what it is. It's infiltration of human society while appearing not to be infiltrated because everyone looks human, but only with invisible light. Now, here's the journey of these bloodlines. You can pick it up at some point through history. It goes way back. Let's pick it up here. Um, these societies, these more advanced societies, Egypt, Mesopotamia, the Indus Valley, China, etc., they started to appear as the first more advanced societies after the cataclysm. What history does is pick up the, the, the cradle of civilization in places like Sumer and what have you. That wasn't the cradle of civilization. These societies were when human society had reached a certain point again after recovering from the great cataclysmic events that destroyed the previous society, much more advanced. Um, in this area of the world, Sumer, which is now, of course, Iraq, became Babylon, why there's so much Babylon symbolism uh, in human society today, Egypt. Um, a lot of the bloodlines uh, came from here, but they were seeded all over the world. And they talked about entities interbreeding with humans and creating uh, royal bloodlines and, and what have you in um, various uh, tablets found in, um, in Iraq, under, under Iraq in the last century or so. And these bloodlines moved out into northern Europe. They, they became the founders of Rome and they interbred with other bloodlines in Europe and they became the European royal families and aristocracy. And eventually, through the great British Empire, the French Empire, great only in size, by the way, in my view, uh, uh, and other European empires, they sent these bloodlines all over the world in the great colonial frenzy of uh, taking the planet over. Um, but there, there's two types of control. One has a finite life, one has an infinite life until it's exposed. The one that has a finite life is when you, like fascism, communism, uh, apartheid, that which is subject to the control can see the controllers. Because eventually, it might take some time, there will be a rebellion against that. The greatest form of control is control you can't see. Where they give you a vote every four or five years, and yet behind the scenes, the same people are in power behind the scenes all the time, no matter who's officially in power in, uh, in politics. And that's what they did in the colonial uh, system. They apparently withdrew back into their countries and gave independence to the former colonies like the United States, and Canada, and etc. around the world. But what they did was left out in those countries the bloodline under different names, 
and the secret society network through which they manipulate the bloodline and its agents into power, and they've gone on covertly controlling those countries um, ever since. And what they've created is a secret society and bloodline version of a transnational corporation. What uh, happens with a transnational corporation? Take McDonald's, please. Take, take McDonald's, if you, uh, if you will, as far as you can. Uh, but take McDonald's as an example. They have a headquarters in America, and in each country they have subsidiaries. And the subsidiaries carry out the diktats of the headquarters. And thus, if you go into a McDonald's in Russia or Australia or South Africa or wherever, you go into basically the same McDonald's. What they've done with the uh, bloodline global network is they have a headquarters. Funnily enough, America is very, very influential, but the headquarters is in Europe. It's in places like the city of London, Rome, um, Brussels, Berlin, etc., uh, Paris. And from the center, they um, have subsidiaries in the different countries. These are subsidiary networks of bloodlines under different names and the secret society network um, within that country. And that network's um, uh, brief or job is to impose in their sphere of influence, their country, what is centrally dictated from the headquarters. Thus, as I've traveled around the world, I've seen the same things being introduced in, in different countries around the same time, often justified by the same excuses. And it even goes further because the national um, network has subsidiaries in the towns, cities, and communities. And thus, um, from the headquarters, they can manipulate down into a local community, uh, if they wish, through this uh, network. Um, and they've created this structure in which they have not just infiltrated, but created the organizations that run uh, and control the direction of the world. I get into some of them. But what the vast overwhelming majority of researchers into this conspiracy do not see or do not want to go there is the fact that there comes a point where this human network goes up into or out into other dimensions of reality and the dictating force is not human. And common themes. Uh, the number of times you see around the world depictions in different societies of half-human, half-reptile um, entities. This is in, uh, obviously in, uh, in Asia. And the depiction of the interaction between reptilian entities and humans and part human, part something else. The gargoyles on the, the churches built by these secret societies, like the Knights Templar, and on the castles and, and ma mansions of the uh, elite bloodlines, they are uh, symbolically uh, uh, these entities. Uh, so many of the coats of arms of these bloodlines uh, carry reptilian themes. Uh, the uh, whole logo of the city of London, or Babby London, as I call it, because it's one of the great central focuses of uh, control, uh, not, not only through finance either, um, is a reptilian holding the red cross and the white background of the Knights Templar, one of the major secrets of supplement, but in danger at all as well, called children and people. But, I mean, what are you, what, oh my God, beam me up, Scotty, it's mad down here, get me out, I've had enough. And then, there's this royal bloody household that we're paying for. Did you know that there's a gold stick and a silver stick on the royal household? At least they have metallic value, that's a, probably a good thing. 
there's a groom of the stole, there's a field officer in brigade waiting. He's always walking up and down, looking pissed off, looking at his watch. He'd be a lot better using his time, keeping an eye on that groom of the stole before he nicks something else, I think. And then they've got a clerk of the closet. And even worse, they've got a deputy clerk of the closet. Rubbish. I mean, when you meet the Prime Minister, whoever it is, are you supposed to bow or curtsy? No, but he is to her. Where's the power here? I mean, what a joke. Look at him. I mean, do you know, I, I feel sad really because these people... They go off to wars and, you know, put themselves in bloody danger. I don't agree they should because they put other people... And we call them the British royal family. No, they're not. They're the German, Danish, Greek, Russian, anything else involved royal family. Same with all the others around bloody Europe. Same bloody family. And, um, oh no, they're only symbolic now and for ceremonial purposes. Bollocks. She talks about my government. Why? Because that, that is what it is. She talks about my parliament. It's my military, my MI5, my MI6, my courts, my church. All the people in those organizations, including the representatives of the people, have to uh, uh, say a, a, a pledge of allegiance, an oath of allegiance to her, not the people. It's a bloody joke. And um, this idea that it's symbolic, rubbish. In mid-October of 1964, kissing cousins Elizabeth and Philip paid a royal visit to a Catholic residential school for Aboriginal children in Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada. William Coombs was 12 years old at the time of the royal visit. I was an inmate at the Kamloops school when we were visited, said Coombs. I remember it was strange because they came by themselves. No big fanfare or nothing. But I recognized them, and the school principal told us it was the Queen. And we all got given new clothes and good food for the first time in months, the day before she arrived. The day the Queen got to the school, I was part of a group of kids that went on a picnic with her and her husband, and some of the priests. We went down to a meadow near Dead Man's Creek. I remember it was weird because we all had to bend down and kiss her foot, and she was wearing a white lace boot. After a while, I saw the Queen and her husband leave the picnic with ten children from the school, and those kids never returned. They took away those ten kids and nobody ever saw them again. We never heard anything more about them, and we never met them again, even when we were older. They were all from around there, but they all vanished. The group that disappeared was seven boys and three girls in age from six to fourteen years old. They were all from the smart group in the class. Two of the boys were brothers, and they were Mady from Quinell. Their last name was Arnous, or Arnold. I don't remember the others, just an occasional first name like Cecilia, and there was an Edward. What happened was also witnessed by my friend, George Adolf, who was 11 years old at the time and a student there too. But he's dead now. William Coombs, the sole survivor, was scheduled to appear as the star witness at the International Tribunal into Crimes of Church and State in London, England. But William Coombs never made it to the tribunal. He died of unknown causes 
shortly before he was scheduled to testify. Reverend Kevin Annette, a former minister of the United Church of Canada, believes that William Coombs was murdered to stop him from speaking out about the royal abductions and other crimes of murder and torture that he had witnessed at the school. In a nutshell, what happened was I was letting people speak from the pulpit uh, about the crimes I'd seen in the residential school, the murders and that. I also found out about the land deals that were happening where the church was selling off native land of big logging companies for kickbacks. And uh, I wrote a letter about that to the church. I was fired without cause and eventually thrown out of the church without any due process at all. Uh, you know, but that one thing led to another and I began to work a lot more with the survivors after that, the eyewitnesses. They are fueled by an anger that has inflamed generations, downing statues of the Queen and those who went before her. Monarchs who reigned during the darkest part of Canada's past, when those who were first on this land were seen as a stain upon it by those who sought a future without them. More unmarked graves have been found near a former residential school. To everyone in Tunaha Nation and to all survivors, families and Indigenous people, we're here for you. It is for what happened in schools like this that Justin Trudeau speaks, places designed by the country's first Prime Minister to take the Indian out of the child. It was a horrific principle. The practice was worse. Over two centuries in the apparent care of Catholic nuns and priests, thousands of Indigenous children disappeared. Brutalised, neglected, left to die or killed, then buried in unmarked graves. Human rights groups say what happened is a genocide. There are children that have never returned home, and we cannot have that in, in any society, any country around us, especially uh, Canada is supposed to be a first world country, you know, and, and uh, we cannot have these type of things go on. It's like your children, sending your children to school today and not knowing where they are if they don't return. You know, what would happen then? It's crimes against humanity in our cases. The schools were open until the 1970s. Now, excavation work in their grounds is discovering the bodies of their pupils. And in a country which has for so long prided itself on a reputation which belies what is hidden in its past. Emma. British authorities plan to conduct an autopsy later on Tuesday. Incredibly, a body found on the Queen's estate in Sandringham. Cause of death not yet known. Royal correspondent Max Foster joining me now from London with more on that. How bizarre, Max. Absolutely, a real murder mystery, isn't it? Apparently, uh, a dog walker discovered some human remains on the estate on uh, New Year's Day, and that's where this investigation started. Just to give you a sense of this estate, it is the Queen's country estate where she stays at Christmas. She's staying there uh, currently, but it's 20,000 acres. It's absolutely vast. There are villages within this estate, so uh, it is open to the public in many places.
place is only around the house, isn't very private and secure. And this happened about a mile away from the main gates to the house. So it is in the Queen's backyard, you could say. This is what the police told us about it earlier this morning. I think the circumstances indicate that uh, she is probably the uh, victim of murder. The body has been in situ for some time, but again, the experts are here to establish exactly what that, uh, that time frame is. So, as suggested there, Michael, a female body. We don't know much more. We will find out more this afternoon following the autopsy at uh, the local hospital, named in fact after the Queen, Queen Elizabeth Hospital, at King's Lynn. And no, no, no suggestion of any link uh, to the royal household. It just uh, seems to be a coincidence at the moment, or they just don't know. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a vast area, and uh, it is open to the public, so um, they are actually going through all the unsolved crimes, not just locally, uh, but nationally, to try to find cases which may relate to this, but they need the results of the autopsy. No comment from Buckingham Palace, so far, Michael, they're saying it's a police case, although they do say that the Queen is there, and you'd assume that she would have at least been informed about this, you'd expect to be told if a body had been discovered in your garden. This morning, Buckingham Palace wants to know who leaked a video from Queen Elizabeth's family archive. Sun, the Sun newspaper obtained a 72nd black and white video showing the Queen as a child. It apparently shows her performing a Nazi salute. Charlie Daggett is outside Buckingham Palace in London with how the palace may have helped the video get out. Charlie, good morning. Good morning to you. Palace officials have confirmed to us this morning that an internal investigation is underway to determine the source of the leak, where that family footage came from, and just how it ended up in the hands of the Sun newspaper. It's a grainy home movie shot in 1933. Playing up for the camera, young Queen Elizabeth is seen apparently raising a Nazi salute alongside her mother and younger sister dancing around. Her uncle, the future King Edward VIII, does the same. Whether an innocent gesture done in jest, the palace is said to be scrambling to figure out how the film got out, says royal correspondent Royanika. There's been a huge level of concern as to how the material got out, the fact that they actually don't know how it's got out. You know, unknown things like that to do with the royal family and archives rattle um, royal aides, and they rattle members of the royal family too. However, part of that clip had already been made public, apparently showing the Queen and her sister just moments after that incident, part of an exhibition by Buckingham Palace last year, which has led to claims the palace itself may be partly to blame for inadvertently releasing the footage to documentary makers. The Sun newspaper won't say where they got it, but it was obtained in a legitimate fashion and published with the public interest in mind, says managing editor Stig Abel. The fact remains that in 1933, led by a man who was to become Edward VIII, the British royal family were uh, doing Nazi salutes to a video. Uh, that seemed very immediately to us to be a matter of great cultural, historical and general interest. The historical interest the paper claims is that it reveals King Edward's implicit support for the Nazis from early on. Long accused of being a Nazi sympathizer, Edward visited Hitler in 1937 after giving up his crown to marry U.S. divorcee Wallace Simpson. The Queen was only about six years old when the film was shot at the private residence of Balmoral, unaware of what that Nazi salute would come to symbolize. Adolf Hitler was then an aspiring politician, already a German chancellor and the head of the Nazi party, but before he became the Führer of the 
Third Reich, long before the horrors of World War II and the atrocities of Nazi Germany. And as much as that footage came as a surprise, it's not likely to affect the public image of the Queen herself. It's not going to damage the monarchy in the eyes of the British public, and I think, you know, of course the public would understand that um, it's a sensational story, but it does, I don't think it really has any impact or meaning as to how we view the monarchy. Now, the Royal Archives are not open to the public. Some researchers are invited to access them, but only with palace approval. But now some historians are saying the Royals should open up and reveal more of what's inside. Nora? I'm Charlie Daggett at Buckingham Palace. Thank you. Something tells me they'll get to the bottom of that. But she's a little girl at the time, clearly imitating her uncle. Right. Paris, Pointe de la Mar, Tutter. August 31st, 1997. Diana Spencer, the people's princess, dies in a car crash, aged 36. Both her lover, Dodi El Fayad, and her driver die with her. The death of Princess Diana, assassination or accident. Toxicologists say the driver was three times over the legal drink drive limit. His 75 mile per hour drunk driving is to blame for the accident. The wreckage of the black Mercedes reveals traces of white paint from an impact with another car. And that all the seat belts are in working order except Diana's. There are 14 closed-circuit TV cameras in the Point de la Alma tunnel. There is no CCTV footage of the car crash. Dodi El Fayad's father accuses MI6 of orchestrating the accident. to prevent Diana's unborn Muslim child from entering the royal family. December 19, 2007, Diana's butler, Paul Burrell, reveals a letter from 1993 in which Diana claims her ex-husband, Prince Charles, is planning to kill her in a staged car accident. Witnesses say Burrell forged the letter April 2nd, 2008, the official inquest into Diana's death concludes. There is no evidence Diana was pregnant when she died. The white paint came from a fiat unto owned. By a Vietnamese immigrant officially by record and was scraped by Diana's drunk driver prior to the accident. Diana's seatbelt was broken in the crash, investigators claim. It says there is no proof Diana was murdered. August 18, 2010, 11, 12, 13, Scotland Yard announces it is assessing new evidence which suggests the British SAS killed Diana. 
Cannibals and vampires and reptile queens. Oh my. The obsession with the British royal family is intoxicating and ever-present. Rumors run rampant. We live in an absurdist generation. Photos circulate within seconds. And truths can last for years. And suddenly we've descended down an internet rabbit hole in which Meghan Markle is a robot. A video recently circulated showing Meghan Markle and Prince Harry in the audience of Britain's Got Talent finale in which the Duchess of Sussex does not blink for over three minutes. Harper's Bazaar unpacked and dissected this conspiracy theory and the Twitter firestorm and accompanied it. One Twitter user wrote, Prince Harry married Meghan Markle to gain control over America. American writer and political critic Greg Polowitz treated a theory this November about the royal wedding. Prince Charles is a vampire. Some genealogy record states that Prince Charles is a descendant of the 15th century Romanian prince, Vlad the Impaler, the man who inspired Bram Stoker's 1897 novel Dracula. That would also make Prince Charlotte a vampire. This, at least, we cannot handle. Vlad the Impaler is famous for impaling so many men on stakes and poles that their bodies covered an entire mountainside. Charles jokingly boasted that this apparently relationship to Vlad gives him a claim to Transylvania. Queen Elizabeth I was a man, according to the conspiracy theory. As a child, young lady Elizabeth fell ill and died while playing at her family's lodge in Bisley, England, just hours before her father, King Henry VIII, was scheduled to pay a visit. Fearful that the king would behead them, the servants dressed a neighborhood boy as young Elizabeth herself. People say the boy grew up continuing the charade for the political and social prestige. Queen Elizabeth's wardrobe and pledges to virginity during her reign were all tools to hide her true identity, or rather his true identity, from the royal court. Charles and Diana have a secret daughter through IVF. Some theorists believe that Charles and Diana had a daughter before William and that she is named Sarah and lives incognito in a small New England American town. The rumor states that before Diana could marry Charles, the Queen ordered her to undergo fertility tests to verify that she could have children. During the test, her eggs were fertilized and a doctor secretly stole the embryo and implanted it into his own wife.
Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth II as an extraterrestrial reptile. This theory, it propagated by former BBC Sports reporter and reptile David Icke, claims that certain members of the elite, like Queen Elizabeth II, are Anunnaki, a band of reptile humanoids. The lizard people are world leaders and public figures, and they are... royal family around the world and in many European nations. In a BBC interview captioned Lizards in Buckingham Palace, Ike claims his theories are backed up by hard factual information and genealogies. Prince Harry is not Prince Charles's son. Some speculate that Prince Harry is actually the son of James Hewitt, Diana and James both admitted to having a five-year affair during Diane and Charles' marriage. James is a redhead, like Harry Charles is not. Oh, sorry, like Harry and Charles is not. Cosmopolitan placed parallel photos of Harry and James together. Similarities are obvious. Although it is argued that Harry actually gets his looks from Princess Diana's brother, Charles Spencer, pictured here with Diana. Queen Elizabeth I, aka the Virgin Queen, was not really a virgin. This conspiracy starts from rumors about a sexual relationship between Queen Elizabeth I and her childhood friend Dudley, ran rampant around England during Elizabeth's reign. Elizabeth apparently appointed Dudley as Master of the Horse, which meant they would have many, many hours riding both day and night together. Her favorite treatment of Dudley could also be that he knew her secret that she was actually a boy or a man in the garb of Queen Elizabeth saying that this relationship was homosexual and that's why he didn't produce children. Princess Diana was pregnant when she died. Mohammed Al-Fayyad, the father of Dodi Al-Fayyad, Diana's boyfriend at the time of her death, claims that Diana was pregnant with Dodi's child. Mohammed Al-Fayyad is an Egyptian Muslim and claims that the Windsors found that problematic, arranging Diana's death to cover up not only her pregnancy, but also to distance a Muslim royal family. Uh, possibility. The royal family planned Diana's fateful car crash. Mohammed El Fayyad has been so outspoken about this theory that it led to a multi-million pound investigation into the car crash that killed Diana and Dodi by international investigators. El Fayyad, millionaire and business owner of Harrods and Ritz-Carlton locations, believed That Queen Elizabeth II 
was personally responsible, as was Prince Charles, for the ordering of the assassination, which has been also theorized, performed by the SAS. The next is Queen Elizabeth II is a cannibal. One philosopher tried to figure out how the queen maintained her unrelenting youthful energy and longevity. The explanation? She must have human flesh and blood running through her body. A surrogate gave birth to Princess Charlotte. This theory, some theorists and gossip magazines claim that Kate Hudson must have used a surrogate because she looked too good leaving the hospital to have just delivered a baby herself. This is also in connection to the rumors that Kate Hudson is a transsexual, also a man in drag. And that that son is a homosexual. And that is a well-known fact in the royal family. King Edward the Seventh's son was Jack the Ripper. Some scholars claim Prince Albert Victor, grandson of Queen Victoria and son of King Edward the Seventh, was Jack the Ripper, the anonymous and infamous serial killer who committed five murders, ritualistically occult murders, in London in 1888. Royal family, the Jack Ripper's victims were often impoverished females, prostitutes, and writers and researchers have continued to investigate his identity. Some suspect Prince Albert Victor committed the murders in sporadic illness-induced bouts of violence. Others believe it was the Queen's personal surgeon. For reasons as varied as Freemasonic occult human sacrifice to practicing hysterectomies on living victims or living subjects. Diana herself feared Prince Charles was arranging a fatal car accident to kill her. A letter from Diana to former butler Paul Burrell apparently implies that Diana suspected her husband was planning to kill her with an accident in a car, with brake failure and serious head injury being blamed, so that he could take ownership or take over her children, basically. Several news sources have released photos of the handwritten letter. Yes, it does say my husband is planning an accident in my car. People claim, however, that Burrow likely forged the letter himself. Now we're getting to, I think, the top two, maybe even the top one. Let's see. And the number one conspiracy theory of all time for the royal family out of the top 15 conspiracy theories that I've just been reading off is that Queen Elizabeth I wrote all of Shakespeare's plays 
Unlike most women at the time, Queen Elizabeth received a formal, extensive education, and some claim her insider understanding of royal life meant that she could have written the plays credited to Shakespeare and gotten away with this. Much of Shakespeare's plays were performed in Queen Elizabeth's court and sponsored by Queen Elizabeth's golden era patronage to theater and the arts. I personally hold to that theory, and I believe that a lot of the romantic comedies, etc., that were pretty bawdy would be right in line with the several simultaneous theories of Queen Elizabeth from the Golden Era being a dude in drag and being, uh, you know, basically living this weird diva life right in front of everybody's eyes and being obsessed with theater and acting and, you know, exactly role-playing and in, like, theater and persuasions of, of the masses, etc., with theatrics. I think it would have been right in line with that. In the House of Windsor, there's trouble about. So we sent Mark Phillips to sniff it out. Normally, as far as they can manage it, what happens in the palace stays in the palace. But the special 90th Queen's Birthday issue of the High Society Town and Country magazine contains the spectacular revelation of a family rift of such vicious infighting that a psychologist had to be called in. A rift between the Queen's corgis, the dog breed she's famously fond of, and fights. Pet psychologist Roger Mugford calmed the corgis down by sorting out the hierarchy, a lot like the way the royals work. And he discovered a possible reason for the doggy discord. The corgis were at each other's throats at the same time as the royal family were at each other's throats over the breakdown of Princess Diana and Prince Charles's marriage. Particularly when you distract the bar at the affairs of state and other things going on within the family as they were at that time until dying the situation. The royal dog's life does seem a lot like the royal family's life, hampered, and they eat off good crockery. The bowls are leftovers from the palace kitchens, I presume. You know, a, a battered silver dish here and a silver a, dish. and a cracked piece of porcelain there. Mother. And there's another way the royal corgis are like the royal family. The royal line of people are all direct descendants of a single person, Queen Victoria. And the royal line of corgis are all direct descendants of a single top dog as well. At the palace, in dogs, and in people, it seems, breeding cats. Mark Phillips, CBS News.